Welcome to Fire Headlines, where we discuss the hottest fire news to hit within the last two weeks. I'm your host, Inanna Hankey, and today I am joined by the panel, Chief Bob Horton, Chief Jeff Buchanan, and we have a special guest. Chief Matt Tobia of the Harrisonburg Fire Department in Virginia is with us to discuss the events leading up to and following a harrowing close call experienced by their department about three years ago. Chief Tobia, thank you so much for joining us. Would you give us more of an idea of what happened? Yeah, sure. First, uh, thank you so much for the opportunity for us to share this story. You know, all of the credit goes to the people that were involved in this incident and their willingness to courageously share the circumstances of this event because it was a very close call uh, and it could have easily ended in a fatality And in reality, it would be very easy to point the finger at one individual and say, well, if they simply been doing X, none of this would have happened. But that really misses the mark on exactly what was going on. So uh, we're an all career department of about 100 people, four fire stations, protecting a community of about 55,000 people. And we're handling about 6,500 calls per year. We're a typical all hazards fire department. A very uh, sunny Saturday morning, uh, we get dispatched for a residential structure. Um, I happened to be close by, and so I went to the call, and it dawned on me as we were setting up to initiate the, a firefight on a working dwelling fire that the tower company had not yet arrived on the scene. Um, and I assumed that they must have been delayed because they were simply out of position, perhaps down at our training grounds. And it kind of entered my mind, and then it went right back out as we went about doing our jobs. Um, And eventually the tower company showed up and all four members of the tower company immediately went to work. Uh, We were able to control the fire very quickly. All was well. Uh, And then companies picked up and went back to quarters. And and about an hour later, I got a phone call from the on-duty battalion chief letting me know that the reason the tower one had been delayed was because during the response to the call, one of the members riding in one of the bucket seats of the tower had actually been ejected out of the vehicle onto the roadway during the emergency response. Um, Fortunately, he was not critically injured. Uh, He was able to pick himself up off the roadway intersection and then jump back on the tower and the crew continued to the call. It was instantly shocking uh, and immediately concerning to me on a number of levels. First, the physical well-being of the member, Uh, Josh, uh, is a great firefighter and a critically important part of our our, our family. Uh, second uh, was his mental health and well-being concerns. And then, of course, the impact on the other members of the crew, uh, the driver and the officer uh, who were working that day. And then, of course, more broadly to the entire fire department and the impact that it was going to have on the rest of our organization. Uh, as a brand new fire chief uh, and knowing Uh, the potential for all of the various things that could happen. Uh, We really focused first on physical well-being, mental health well-being, and then getting to the point of evaluating what actually happened. We formed a a near-miss investigation team, which included from members both inside the department and outside the department. We included members at all ranks within the department, 
And their charge was very simple. Find the facts of the circumstance and then evaluate the root causes as to why this circumstance could have occurred. Um, and we did all of the normal administrative things that you do. We immediately took the apparatus out of service on the chance that there might be something mechanically wrong with the vehicle and had it reinspected and checked at our city shop, verified that the vehicle was safe to continue to be used. We checked all of those important immediate boxes from a, a safety perspective because we didn't want to keep a piece of apparatus in service that was not safe to be on the roadway. Um, once we excluded a mechanical failure as a, as a reason for the door coming open and, and Josh being ejected, then we needed to answer the questions as to why it happened and then what can we do to prevent it from happening again? So near miss team did all of their work, reached all of their conclusions, and we could talk about those. And then one of the recommendations was that we needed to share this story with the entire fire service so that others could benefit and hopefully save lives of our fellow responders in the fire service community. Uh, and that's really what led to the production of the story of Tower One. Thank you so much, Chief, for giving us an idea of just what happened and the way that you responded as well. Um, for our listeners who aren't familiar with the story, there is a, a documentary that was created in order to really give a sense of what led up to this event and what happened overall. Um, we were discussing a little bit beforehand about the culture that goes into responding to these types of events? How do you approach these problems as an organization? Um, Jeff, I was wondering if you had a specific question about that. First, I just want to say, Matt Tobia, I love the courage in order to bring this out to the public. We need it. We need you. All right. So you have this situation, you're sharing, you're, you're, you're bringing this out here, you're, you're investigating. And then this notion of culture comes up. How are you dealing with that as an organization? We know in the fire service, we got to get there. And there's nothing that's going to stop firefighters from getting there. But they're too often doing it at their own detriment of safety with not fastening their seatbelts. How do you take this example, drive it into your organization and make a change to culture? How do you do that? Yeah, you know, um, I'll be honest with you, Jeff, this was a unicorn moment for us, and I encourage everyone to please watch the video. Coincidentally, with this incident, an Uber driver was stopped in the intersection as the engine and the tower were responding to this structure fire. So an Uber driver literally paused on his journey, and he actually didn't have to. He was making a left turn away from their response pattern, and he could have easily continued on his way, but he stopped and he waited. And so the entire incident got captured on live video. And then the more amazing thing was that in this day and age, the Uber driver didn't just post it on social media in an effort to embarrass or criticize the firefighters who were involved in this incident. And he literally brought the video to the fire station and said, hey, I think you guys might want this. So we captured the video. And the one thing that the Harrisonburg Fire Department prides itself on above all else is that we treat each other as a family. And when our firefighters saw Josh 
get thrown out onto the roadway and come that close to being killed, it was instantly impactful. And so from a culture perspective, it wasn't hard to get people to buy in because they had the video to see. And it wasn't of somebody else's fire department. It wasn't, it wasn't happening in another place. It wasn't one of those, it could happen anywhere else, but it isn't gonna happen to us. This was one of our own nearly getting killed. And so that really changed the entire paradigm of the discussion on the front end. Feels like you were scared straight. The organization got that feeling of, wow, this is so close. And I just love how you shared the story, Matt. I mean, it just, it, it, it's outstanding. You know, you get, you get punched in the mouth, right? But it's not how you fall down. It's how you get back up again, right? And, and I think that's really the key takeaway. There is no perfect fire department. And I'll, I'll be honest. I give my folks three key expectations. Number one, turn out fast because it's the only component of the response continuum that we have any control over whatsoever, right? The second thing is strive for perfection in everything that we do. And we know that we will never achieve perfection, but in striving for perfection, we can achieve precision. And it's only in that, that zone of precision that we have the chance of surviving any unexpected event that occurs in the fire service, right? And then the third charge is to demonstrate compassion. And it's not how we identify our failures, it's what we do about them that I think organizations should be judged by. For me, the most important thing is look beyond our failings to how we can stand back up and become better at what we do. Yeah, it sounds like a story of resilience. Uh, it, you just, you withstood the tough situation. You bounced back. And then I, I just think it's just so crucial you're sharing, you know, sharing that message and, and being vulnerable as a, as a fire chief, not easy to do. We know the environment that we're working in. We know the scrutiny that you're under and uh, just takes a bunch of courage, a bunch of courage, Matt, and, and, and we need more of it. And, and, and you know, where, where we go from here and, and BOB, you need to jump in on this. How, yeah. how do we take this example and those fire departments that haven't experienced a tragedy so close to them? How do we use this as an example? What are your thoughts on changing that entire culture? It's such a tough egg to crack. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, what a, what a leadership moment for you, Matt. And this is, uh, you're a new fire chief, right? And you're thrust into this situation and you have an organization that wants to see and know how you're going to react. Uh, Jeff and I both, we both know you personally before this story came out on, on this podcast. And I can comfortably say to all our listeners, every fire chief's worried about safety. Uh, don't get me wrong here. Every fire chief is worried about the safety of their folks. But if I had to list out top five, maybe even top three, Eh, you're probably on the podium for sure. Matt Tobia is one of the most safety conscious fire chiefs that I've ever I've ever been around. So he he studies safety, he studies incidents, and that that's a testament to his interest in motivation. And I don't have to put words for you, Matt. You can express that yourself on why you want this story 
um, shared shared broadly. So I I can I've watched this video probably a half dozen or more times. It's very disturbing to watch, and I watched it numerous times with a different lens in my own as a firefighter who's ridden in. In, in an apparatus as an officer who supervised uh, a crew on an apparatus as a fire chief who's had to who who goes home at night who does administrative work who writes policy who works on programs uh, but doesn't have direct supervision over people and you worry about this so I uh, you know I know this kept you up for nights on end uh, asking those difficult questions of yourself um, and I admire I agree with with Jeff said I admire your vulnerability and I admire your courage and one particular piece I, I want to focus in on in your causal chain analysis that you all spoke to and and you reiterated it right here about your um tenants of of turning out fast and there was sort of this connect connection between a memo you know re- that got sent out related to turnout times right we're tracking turnout times we're, we're aware of this and it being being looped in and and I'll just be honest like at first I was I wanted to dismiss that um and and that's that's really not fair to do it is right right it is right it is part of the story and again I admire your leadership in in suggesting that right that piece at least is squarely on your shoulders. This memo piece is certainly a piece of it. And I, as somebody who, you know, sort of has an intimate studying of incentives, uh, it's very true. Right? It's very true that there are mixed signals that may get sent out between a policy direction you give your organization and how they receive it. I want, if you don't mind, Matt, maybe share a little bit about your thoughts on that. Now, I, I honestly, like if I were to wait out parts of this, and I don't know the knowledge, like I actually don't even want to put you on the defensive in terms of the Harris-Brittenberg Fire Department and their role in this. This this could have happened in a lot of places. And that's kind of what Jeff was alluding to is there's a there's a bigger and broader culture of of this, I, I can't believe for one second that firefighters across this country are, uh, you know, uh, uh, sh- showing up in the fire in the seat, you know, for the alarm in their seatbelt. Everybody's ready to go before the apparatus pulls out the station. But for the fact that a chief comes in and says we're tracking response times, all of that goes out the window. Not sure that that actually is a thing. Um, but it is fair that that there's an undue hardship or pressure. A- enough of 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 my talking about it. Would you you just sort of share? Uh, your what you was going through your mind as you started to unpack these different components and and kind of what led you to the conclusion that that piece uh, made it that was a contributing factor to this event. Yeah, sure, of course. You you know, look, fire chiefs want to be able to measure the performance of their of their organizations, right? Like we know that we have incredibly high performing fire departments all across this country, and and Harrisonburg takes tremendous pride in the reputation that we have. But it's important that we be able to measure our performance as a baseline so that we can then focus on how to make improvements, right? You, you know, John Tippett, you know, when he was in Charleston, talks about getting 1% better every day, like just, just 1% better every day, right? So when I became the fire chief, you know, we weren't doing a lot of data analysis. Um, we weren't measuring our performance by any objective measure. And so the thought was, well, let's start gathering some data, not applying any pressure whatsoever. Like we didn't even say, you know, you need to turn out within X amount of time. We just began measuring what our 90th percentile turnout times were in our organization. Because if we don't know how fast we're turning out, we have no idea whether we're doing a good job or not. Any 
fire department has to be able to measure its performance. So we started sending each individual company their turnout times for a month, and we were doing it on a monthly basis, right? We didn't even say, you know, this is the standard by which you have to turn out. And we certainly didn't say that we want, you know, that we have to meet NFPA 1710 today. We don't even know how long it is, how long we're taking to turn out. Firefighters are naturally competitive. Firefighters naturally want to exceed expectations. They are driven individuals. They want to not only meet their boss's expectations, they want to exceed them. And so there's this natural tendency that the moment they are being evaluated, they want to do better, right? Because they're just, they're, they're plumb that way. They are, they are infused with that in their core, which is what helps make firefighters so incredibly important. And then that creates a chain of thinking of, okay, we know we want to be the best. We don't even know what the other companies' turnout times are, but we want to be better. So that fact feeds into discussions of suddenly headquarters is watching us. Headquarters is monitoring our performance either because we're not doing good or because we need to do better, as opposed to accepting what we were talking about on face value, which was we just need to establish a baseline. So that starts this whole internal conversation in people's in firefighters minds about doing better and you have to be really careful about turning on that switch right because it can have unintended consequences now let's be real all right i don't know a firefighter in america that hasn't stood up in the back of a moving piece of fire apparatus getting dressed going to a working structure fire believing that they needed to be able to do that in order to be ready when they got on location, right? I don't know a single firefighter that hasn't done something that violated a known safety expectation and gotten away with it. And you might get away with that a thousand times right up until the point when you don't. And that is when we have firefighter fatalities. That is when we have critical injuries. And the reality is that that gap, right, that normalization of deviance that we talk about is what laid the groundwork for this happening. And then even though that door was already open, even though that normalization of deviance was already there, I inadvertently pushed that door even further open. I, I widened that gap by applying an artificial, a perception of an artificial pressure. And so it was only right for me to take responsibility for my piece in this incident, because it would be wrong to say that the only reason why Josh fell out of that moving fire apparatus is because he wasn't wearing his seatbelt. Like that would be a proximate cause. Mm -hmm. That would not be a root cause, you know, root cause analysis, you know, Gordon Graham, talks about proximate cause and root cause all the time. And, you know, he's a brilliant risk manager. And he talks about too often in the fire service, we look at proximate cause and, uh, and, the, and the analysis of the incident stops at that moment. 
We never go beyond it. And so that's why a piece of this, I have to accept a piece of this. It's absurd to think that I didn't play at least some role in this event occurring. Yeah. And, and again, I admire your, your leadership and vulnerability and courage to accept that responsibility. Uh, and it makes sense to me. For, for just our, our listeners that don't know what a turnout time is, Matt, could you describe that briefly? Yeah, sure. Of course. So the, the turnout time is the measurement of time between when a call is received in the fire station and when the unit marks responding uh, on a call. That's the turnout time, the amount of time that is allotted for, for firefighters to get to the fire apparatus get dressed, get on board, be seated, and for the apparatus to begin its response to the call. Thanks for that clarification, Chief. And I think it was a really important and interesting detail that you mentioned that I just wanted to point this out, that you were sending these call times to the departments without necessarily a, this is what we want you to do with it. That just really stood out to me. And I think it was important to identify that that may have contributed in some aspect. Something else that I thought of with your effort to make sure that folks are aware of what happened and to ensure this doesn't happen again, at least from the civilian side of things, this is another great reason for us to help protect firefighters by stopping our vehicles when you're close by. I know that traffic safety is also a really big topic in first response today. Um, incidents around firefighters or other first responders getting hit. I think that this just really drives home and being able to see the footage as well um, for those of us who aren't firefighters that we play a big role in helping to keep our first responders safe too. So thank you for getting this message out there and sharing it. Yeah, you know that um, we shared this video with every single department in city government and our folks in Parks and Recreation have shown this video to all of their personnel regarding seatbelt use. So, you know, it literally is not just the fire service. It is every single industry where vehicles are in motion, people are in seats and the, and the criticality of wearing seatbelts. Um, you know, for us, it is what can we do to leave the fire service better than we found it? And, and that's really what this video is about. And you talk about, you know, John Tippett and, you know, developing the national near miss reporting system um, this video is a video example of the National Near Miss Reporting System in action. And it's really just a testament to all of the individuals who have played a role in giving us a platform to share this story. This whole story is a great story, but none of it would have happened were it not for the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation and their commitment to reducing preventable line of duty deaths, to reduce the risk and make it more likely that our folks go home at the end of the day. Josh is important to us, as is all of our people. And uh, if it can help one, make it more likely that one firefighter goes home alive, then it's it's been completely worthwhile. So thanks so much for uh, the opportunity to share this story. And and please share the video. That's that's the thing. Please share the video. Hey, man, I, I just want to jump in here for a few, but I got to throw it out there. It takes a village. I appreciate the fact that you're putting that on your shoulders, but... In order for us to, to to crush this culture, there has to be it has to be diffused. Everybody has to take accountability. It's not about blaming one person or taking the blame. We need more Joshes to wear their seatbelts and have that self safety, that self accountability, and the company officers to help out, the battalion chiefs to help out. Because as you talk about the you're distilled 
you're distal to the problem, right? Yeah, you definitely take accountability, no question. And it's awesome that you're doing that. We need everybody else to jump in and feel how important this is and stop looking for someone to blame and stop pointing the finger and say, hey, I can do something about this. It's got to start with me. You, you know, Jeff, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. Microculture of the fire station will eat policy for breakfast every single day. The microculture of your fire station has to match the espoused values of your organization, and they have to be in line with what the fire chief wants them to be, right? Because it doesn't matter how much the fire chief may be committed, personally committed to safety, if the microculture of the fire station doesn't match that, and you don't put a lot of energy to the microculture of your fire stations, you're not going to have the impact that you think you might be having. So. You know, I, I would just encourage fire chiefs to spend a lot of time focusing on that microculture. That is where they will be able to have the greatest impact. I can't punctuate much more than what Matt just had to say. I, I want fire service leaders to heed this message. I agree with you 100%. A difference maker is that Uber driver's video. I mean, to be able to watch this firsthand makes it very real for anybody in the fire service who who looks at this and like, you know, this is happening in, across our fire station. Let, let me be clear, you know, with good training, uh, you can be fast and be seat belted, right? And be be perfectly, you know, perfectly safe. Uh, and maybe I shouldn't use the term perfectly after you made such a compelling case about we can't be, we can't be perfect, but you can be quick, you can be buckled in and it's about the accountability. It's about a spirit and culture of accountability because at the end of the day, and you say it really well in the video, Matt, uh, you can't help anybody if you don't get there safely. Normalization of deviance will catch up to everybody at some point. Uh, it's just more important to get it right the first time. So thank you again for sharing this story. Thank you all so much for giving us some space and some time today. And, uh, you know, keep stay safe and uh, be smart. If you want to ask any questions about our podcast, you can contact us at fireheadlines at wfca.com. If you have a question, if you have insights, we would love to hear from you. Bob, Jeff, it's always a pleasure. Thank you both so much. And thank you to our listeners. And we'll catch you all next week for more Fire Headlines.